0: Chapter 14 is going to be the primary place, and then Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Sometimes we have a full service, and then I look at the clock, and I go, okay, let's do this, right? Hey, last week, we started a series called Along the Way, Walking with Jesus, and we talked about the fact that the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth during his time of ministry, walked everywhere he went. There was no Uber or Lyft, right? There was no Metro Gold Line. Um, If you were going to go somewhere, you walked. Unless you were rich, and you maybe had a donkey or a camel, but we know from the word that Jesus was not rich, and he didn't have those luxuries. And so he had to walk everywhere he went. And during those walks, those times, everywhere he traveled, he had encounters with people. We see that in the Gospels, all of these stories of what Jesus did and the kind of touchpoint he had in people's lives. In fact, John tells us uh, in John 21, 25, he says, Jesus did other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I, su- I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. That's a pretty bold statement. And so we have in the Gospels a snapshot of the life of Jesus. It is not comprehensive by any means in regards to the work and the ministry and the impact that he had. But so much of what happened happened along the way. Discipleship happened along the way. That Jesus didn't arrange a classroom setting with the disciples and say, okay, now listen, I'm going to teach you a lesson and you go do some homework and then you come back to me. It's not how he functioned. He said, listen, we're going we're gonna to walk from here to there and we're going to camp along the way or stay in people's houses and we're going to you know get food where we can find it and we're going to have campfires and, and we're going to laugh and we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to cry and we're going to do life together. And along the way, the disciples were trained up and discipled and released to go and do ministry. Along the way, there were sick people and blind people and broken people that met Jesus. And he stopped and encountered them. Zacchaeus up in the tree, just hoping to get a glimpse. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house. And the disciples go, well, Jesus, that's not on the agenda for today. It's not on the itinerary. Why? Because there was no itinerary. Jesus simply met people. And I believe in the same way that God wants to meet us. Jesus wants to meet us along the way. That we live our lives in such a way that sometimes it's, it's so compartmentalized that Jesus has this part of me and then everything else happens. Or maybe I take a few minutes in the morning and, and I give Jesus a little bit of time of the day and say, well, Jesus, um, hey, help me to have a good day. I know I'm supposed to have a conversation with you real quickly. So here I am. Um, bless me, keep me, guide my steps. Maybe we get into the word a little bit. And I said even last week, even our vernacular, the words we use sometimes we say, well, I'm reading the Bible so I can get something out of it. Right, or I'll talk to people sometimes. Hey, did you read that passage? Yeah, but I didn't really get anything out of it. <laughs> the problem's not the Bible, it's us that we're so busy, ready to, to get something that we're not stopping to meet Jesus in the Word. And so, this question that's been asked already many times already in the service this morning what is Jesus saying to you? I introduced us last week to uh, a method of, of or an approach to reading the Bible called lectio divina. Going back to the third century, uh, developed by monks and practiced it still to this day in monasteries, where you would take a passage of Scripture and you would just sit in it, not just read it and then head on to the next thing, but to read it and then reread it and read it again, read it out loud, to sit in silence and meditate on it. To, add, to insert your name into the story, to personalize it, and just simply say, God, what are you speaking to me? In fact, last week we passed out that half sheet. If you did not get that last week, by the way, if you want to just lift your hand real quick, we have the ushers are ready to pass that out. Just get that up nice and high so they can see and they'll pass that out to you. At the end of the service this morning, by the way, there'll be another half sheet. We'll have it at the door for you. Make sure to grab one. So the passage that I gave to you last week is actually our text for the the message this morning. And so the invitation was this. Take time this week to sit in this passage and allow the Lord to speak to you rather than just coming to church and asking the pastor to speak to you. Because it's way more important that you hear the voice of Jesus than you hear the voice of Barry. Barry. And so as your pastor, I want to encourage you, be in the word. Now what's great is if you're spending time in that same passage before we get to Sunday, then the Lord's just going to confirm some things for you. You're not hearing it for the first time. And so next week's passage is is available. Grab that at the door before we head out. So let's take a look at this passage this morning. Matthew 14, 13 through 21 says this, When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and then the disciples gave them to the people. And they, ate all, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. I don't know if you've ever had a party at your house, but if you've had a party and maybe 20, 25 people showed up, you know that you're spending probably days preparing, right? Imagine 5,000 men plus women and children. So let's say conservatively around 15,000 people show up to hear you teach. This is the scene. And then the disciples go, they're hungry. And all we have are these these loaves and these fish. Jesus says, no, no, you don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You're gonna look at Jesus like he's lost his mind. Are you kidding me? 15,000 people, Jesus? Jesus? If we had a week, we would not be able to get ready. It's interesting that this is the only only miracle that is uh, noted in all four of the Gospels outside of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the only miracle that we see written in all four of the Gospels. And each of the Gospels uh, and and the writers of those Gospels has a bit of a different view. They emphasize different things. Uh, In fact, it's John who who references the fact that Philip was there and Philip was from that area and knew that area well. And so Jesus says to Philip, hey, is there a place where we could go buy bread for all these people? Which is a little ridiculous, isn't it? That many people, there, there's not going to be a store, a bakery in that region in these villages that's going to be able to accommodate it. And, he, and it says, John says that he asked it this way because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. All right, I want to show you a map like we did last week. I want to give you a sense of where we are, if we can put that up here. So we're in the, the region of Galilee. Um, Galilee is like the breadbasket of Israel. And of course, back in those days, wherever there was water, there was a community. And the Sea of Galilee is by far the largest body of water in that part of the world. And so the, the region all around Galilee is just all kinds of agriculture and and fields and fruit. Here in the north end of the Sea of Galilee is Bethsaida, which is the community they're in. Now, now Matthew doesn't list the name of the community, but one of the other writers does, says that they went to Bethsaida. Uh, This is the town that uh, Philip, as well as Peter and Andrew are from. Now, Capernaum, I'd said last week that Peter's from Capernaum. Peter... Uh, in the time of the Gospels, was living in Capernaum, but he was born in Bethsaida, and, and, and this is the place where he was called. And so, uh, it's interesting, Bethsaida is, uh, is one of the villages that they've not been able to find until recently, and part of the reason for that is they were looking right along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida was a fishing village, and so the location where they found it is about a mile and a half away from the water. And what they, they figure has happened is there's a delta. The Jordan River is flowing right down here. There's seven springs that are fed by Mount Hermon and the snow on Mount Hermon. And, and then that water flows down into the Sea of Galilee. And, and what they figure is that in this area right here, there was a, a delta that had opened up and has since filled with silt. And so the water pushed up a lot further up into the region of Bethsaida. So this is where this story is happening. And it says that Jesus took them to a place. There was a, there was, well, he didn't take them. They followed him to a place and there was a lot of fields. And if you go to that region, that there's just kind of these sloping hills and it's just green and beautiful and lush. There's a lot of water in the area. And so this is, this is where we're at. By the way, there's three, pass- there's three towns listed in Scripture that Jesus calls, uh, that, that we call them the woe towns. Jesus says, woe to you, and he lists three towns. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And you can see they form a little triangle. They're right there next to each other. These were the towns where Jesus did most of his ministry, and his warning to them was, you keep looking for the miracles, but you're missing me. Now, he didn't say that exactly. That's, that's the, the nutshell version. You're also enthralled with the miracles. He says, in fact, if Tyre and Sidon, which are Gentile cities, had seen the amount of miracles that you've seen, they would have given their lives to me right away. But you've just got all enamored with the miracles, and you're missing me in the midst of it. What's interesting about those three communities Where a lot of the villages and the cities in Israel are ancient cities, but are still inhabited today—Cana, Nazareth, uh, Tiberias—these there are still cities there. All three of these cities were destroyed and never rebuilt, Um, but they found the ruins of where all of these places are, Um, and so these were the cities that Jesus addressed. Jesus says this, so it says this of, of him in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, if you read back in the passage right before this, what Jesus had just found out is that his cousin John had been beheaded. Herod had killed his cousin. and Jesus gets news of this, and he's, he's ministering. He's there with the disciples. He gets news of this, and he says, I need some time alone. And it says he got in a boat and went to the other side to, to just have some time Alone. But the crowds followed him. They wanted to be where Jesus was. So, this is a little background, a little overview of where we're at and what's happening. I want to share four thoughts with you this morning that come out of this passage, and then we're going to close by receiving communion together. First is this if you're writing notes, taking notes, you can write this down. First thing is this Jesus. Withdrew. Jesus withdrew. Jesus was not being antisocial. Jesus was a people person. And all the extroverts in the room go, amen, right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was also very balanced. But he enjoyed being with people. He enjoys being with you. You might not feel that way, but it's truth. Jesus enjoys being... With you. It is not a burden for him. It is not a chore for him. He enjoys being with you. But in this moment, Jesus withdrew. He was having a bad day. He just found out that one of his closest relatives, closest relatives had lost his life. And Jesus, in his humanity, is grieving the loss of his cousin. You've been there, right? You understand that. You get bad news, and you're like, well, I don't want to go to the party now. Well, I, want to just, I just need some space. I need some time. But we understand this as well, that it wasn't the first time that Jesus withdrew. It was not the first time that we hear about Jesus getting away from the crowd. It says in the Bible that Jesus would get away to pray. It says in Luke 5, 15 through 16, news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him. And to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was a part of his practice. It was a part of his discipline. A part of his lifestyle. And the disciples would have seen this. Probably kind of a, they wake up in the morning, where's Jesus? Where did he go? Oh, he's probably off praying. There's a mountainside that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And it talks about Jesus going up on that mountaintop to pray and being alone with the Lord. See, Jesus stayed connected with the Father. And this is something that the disciples and those around him would have seen. He always took time to get away, to withdraw, and to be with the Father, to have communion with God, to hear his voice, to be in his presence, to find rest and to be refreshed. And so in this moment where he gets bad news, his his reflex, his instinct, his response is what he knows to do. Things aren't going well. I'm going to go in and spend time in the presence of my father. And so he withdrew. I want to read to you the 23rd Psalm. Pay attention to what God is speaking again to you. Don't, you've heard this before. 23rd Psalm outside of John 3.16 is probably the passage that most people Whether churched or unchurched, whether they know the Lord or not, are familiar with. And so sometimes that familiarity allows us to tune out. But listen to what Jesus would speak to you out of this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters, He refreshes my soul. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus withdrew. He went to a quiet place, a green place, a place flowing with life. Now, it wasn't a physical place, it was a relational place, it was a spiritual place. He withdrew. To be with his father because he needed some quiet. He needed refreshing. He needed to be comforted. He needed to be restored. And you see what the result of all of these things are in the 23rd Psalm. It says, My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Jesus gave a lot a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. But he had a lot to give because he received a lot from the Father. Those times of withdrawing and being by himself and praying and fasting filled his cup in such a way that he was overflowing. And so we see here, first of all, Jesus withdrew because he was hurting. Can we relate to that? We should. Sometimes this picture of Jesus is just kind of floating A couple of feet off off the ground and just nothing going wrong. No, he he hurt. He struggled. And we can relate to that. Hebrews says that, that Jesus relates to us because he suffered. And he endured things like we do. So he withdrew. Second is this. In the midst of personal heartache, Jesus had compassion. In the midst of personal heartache, Jesus had compassion. He was grieving for the loss of his cousin. The loss of a a family member, the death of a family member is one of the most traumatic things that we can walk through in life. We're reminded that Jesus had feelings, that the father has feelings and emotion, that God is an emotional being. How do we know that? Well, we're created in his image. And we reflect that, we see that, and all throughout Scripture, it's reinforced that he loves, that he laughs over us, that there's joy in the presence of the Lord. These are emotional things. God has emotion. And because he had spent time, Jesus had spent time in the presence of the Father, and because the Father had filled him up, and because his cup was overflowing even in his brokenness and even in the midst of grief, Jesus had something to give. You know, it's interesting to me is that the story and this miracle, the miracle gets all of the attention. The bread and the fish. Oh, yeah, I know that story. What we miss is what led up to that moment and what's going on behind the scenes. These are the things that the disciples and those around Jesus would have seen. Wow, he just heard about his cousin dying. Hey, Jesus, let's get away. Let's go to the other side. Let's get away from the crowd for a little bit. And then they see the crowd show up. And if if I were one of the disciples, it would have been one of those, hey, guys, we just need to give him some room. Just, Just back up a little bit. Jesus needs some space. He needs some time. But in this moment, in the midst of his brokenness, Jesus still had something To give because his cup was overflowing. And so he has compassion on the crowd. Now, listen, he didn't ignore the way he was feeling. He didn't just kind of gloss over and go, well, their needs are greater than my needs, right? That's not healthy. That's not healthy. God wants you. To prosper. He wants your cup to overflow. And sometimes what we do in life is we give and 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 and other people are doing great and we feel empty and drained and depleted. And that's not God's desire for us. One of the things that Tom and Deb will get to do is go and encourage pastors who've probably given too much but not received enough from the Lord. But it's not just for those. In full time ministry or pastors with the title, This is for the body of Christ. That God's designed us to have a capacity to receive His presence, His love, His joy, His comfort, His blessing. And then he leads us in paths of righteousness. Did you notice in the 23rd Psalm that that the shepherd first restores the sheep and then leads the sheep in righteousness? What we so often do is I have to really work at being righteous so that God can fill me up. That means that it's on you. Your ministry, your strength, what you have to give. God reverses it and he says, no, spend time in my presence. Allow me to refresh and restore you. And then even in your brokenness, you will still have something to give. Something good to give. Jesus didn't explain it away. There are moments in Jesus' life where we see him hurting, see him struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to the Lord, to the Father, if there's any way, Any other way, but not my will, your will be done. In Mark's account of this story of the feeding of the 5,000, he adds a perspective. He doesn't just say that Jesus had compassion, he says he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd lacks some things, they lack safety. They're vulnerable. Sheep need the shepherd to be there to protect them. Sheep, do just—they just they just don't have uh, built-in safety mechanisms. You know, you'll have a ram that'll have the horns and can headbutt and stuff like that. But compared to the, the animals that would come and, and uh, try and kill the sheep, they, they had no defense other than the shepherd and the staff, the rod of that shepherd would keep them safe. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable, they lack safety. Sheep without a shepherd lack provision. They're needy. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I'll, I'll rest later. I just have things to do. <laughs> and you, you ever felt that the presence of the Lord going, you need to lie down, because you will burn yourself out. One of the things that's interesting about sheep is, especially when their wool coats are full, there's a danger that if they lie down, they won't be able to get back up again, especially if, there's, if it's damp. The weight, uh, they, their body can't support that weight if they lie down. They, they physically cannot get back up. I think something about our lives that... There's this sense of if I, if I slow down, if I stop, I won't get moving again. And so I just got to keep the momentum going and going and going and going and going. Because if I rest, it's game over. Right? And Jesus would say, I'm your shepherd and I need to make you lie down. Because when it's time to get back up, I'll pick you up. I'll get you back on your feet. But you need to lie down. Sheep without a shepherd are needy. We need his provision. We need him to lead us into places where we're refreshed. And then sheep without a shepherd are lost. They do not have a good sense of direction. They will get themselves stuck. We were up in Oregon a few years back. Um, and our friends up there have sheep. And... uh and they had him up on this property, and up in up in this part of Oregon, there's a lot of blackberry, like brambles and bushes, and just all overgrown. And and so they had these four sheep, and they'd gone down into this little valley and got stuck. And so our kids were charged with the the duty of going to find the sheep and bring them back. And you you know you're there to help them, and you're trying to catch them and rally them and corral them, and they just they just run every direction except for where they're supposed to go. And uh, one of my, my favorite memories is Micah had just had enough. He was, I don't know, he was probably about 12, 13 years old at the time. And, you know, he's just got that energy. And uh, and I, and and the sheep had come into the pasture and it had turned around. They'd broken through the fence, separating them from the, the brambles. And, and the sheep came in and then turned around and started kind of jetting back into the... And Micah had had enough. And so he just ran and dive and like wrap this the sheep up in a in a big old tackle but there was so much momentum they went over the edge and start rolling down the hill through and he came up but but he there was a sense of victory he like picked this thing up and he's like I got you <laughs> sheep are not bright they will go everywhere they're not supposed to go sheep without a shepherd lack direction and so Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees them And he has compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and they didn't even know they were lost. They were needy and they didn't know they were needy. They were vulnerable and they didn't know they were vulnerable. And so Jesus, in the midst of his pain, stops and he turns and he starts ministering compassion, ministering healing. Teaching, him, teaching them and speaking, and speaking out of and ministering out of the overflow of what God was doing in his life. So in the midst of his personal heartache, Jesus had compassion. Third thing is this. He turns to the disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. That's impossible. You give them something to eat. As I mentioned, he says to Philip, In John's account of this story, where are we going to buy bread? Because Philip is from Bethsaida, and so he knows the community. And and Philip knows there is no baker in this area that is going to be able to feed all these people. And I just love Jesus. Like, I know. But I'm just going to ask you anyway. And then... Andrew steps in, who also is from Bethsaida, and he says, but Jesus, we have these five loaves and these two fish. Interesting that two men from the same community, but very different perspectives, one living in a worldly perspective and the other in a kingdom perspective. What's interesting is uh, the disciples had just returned from their first ministry trip. Jesus had sent them out in the, in the chapters preceding this. He had sent them out and said, I'm giving you all authority and go and preach and heal. And so they go to all of the villages in this region and they're preaching the good news. And people are getting or turning their lives over to Jesus and they're getting healed. And they're moving in power. And so the, it wasn't like the disciples had just been on the sidelines watching. He'd invited them into the process. And so they'd had a taste of what it meant to move in that power and authority. Yet when this moment, right, he's stretching them. Okay, so you prayed for some people and they got healed. You did some miracles here and there. Now let's up the game a little bit. Now there's 15,000 mouths to feed. You feed them. You feed them. there's no way. Well, Lord, we have this. We have this. And Jesus says, that'll do. And he blesses it and prays over it and they start distributing and passing that around. The title of the series is Along the Way. The disciples learned to move in the authority and the power that God had given them by just watching his life. And sometimes they got it and sometimes they didn't. They, sometimes they prayed for people and demons were cast out. And sometimes they're like, we don't know what's up here. By the way, what was Jesus's response when there was the boy who was d- demon-possessed? We, we can't cast it out. And Jesus says, fasting and prayer. Now, did Jesus then say, listen, I need to go away for a little while and I'll come back and then we'll do this? No. Because Jesus spent time constantly in the presence of God. His cup was overflowing. He didn't need to go fast and pray because he had already fasted and prayed. He was ready to go. The disciples were still learning that and I would suggest we're still learning that. See, the time, my time in the presence of Jesus isn't just for me. It is first for you But it's not just for you, that as you're in the presence of the Lord, he will fill you up so that you actually have something to give. He was modeling for them the kind of authority they had to move, to bless God's people. My last point is more of a question. So is it his strength or your strength? His strength or your strength? 15,000 people had enough to eat and when they had finished they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftover. There are people who are trying to explain this miracle away by the way that say well that young boy giving his food just inspired just generosity on the parts of all of the other people and they they started sharing so everyone got to eat, right? The problem with that theory is no one showed up with 12 extra baskets of food. And we're not talking little baskets, we're talking Kind of those the big baskets that they would use in that time to carry food. Twelve basketfuls of food were left over. See, here's the thing. When we minister in his strength, there's always extra. There's always that, there's that lingering, there's more. It's when you're in that worship service or in that time where you're praising the Lord and, and, and then the leader says, okay, we're done, and you're just like no, we're not, I don't wanna go, because there's more, there's extra. Those times when we're ministering out of the fullness of what God is doing in our lives, and you pray for someone, and then you're going, okay, who else needs to get prayed for, right? But when we do it in our own strength, what happens is we get exhausted, and we have nothing left to give. There's no overflow. And so this picture of overflow in this passage Why do all four of the the gospel writers make note of the 12 basketfuls? It's the one thing, by the way, that shows up in all four gospels, even though they tell the story a little bit different from their perspective. It's the thing that keeps showing up in all four places. It's important that when Jesus shows up and and he ministers in his strength through our lives, at the end of it all, we're not going to be depleted there's going to be more. It's the same picture of Elijah taking the nap and waking up and God feeding him, takes another nap and then he wakes up and then God feeds him again and he says, listen, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide everything you need and then some. Can I encourage you this morning? You don't have to just get by with Jesus. You don't. Your cup overflows this is his heart for you i set a table for you in the presence of your enemies in the least likely place the place where you should be worrying about losing stuff hey that's where i'm going to set a table for you and i'm going to bless you and i'm going to refresh you and i'm going to resource you and i'm going to i'm going to comfort you and i'm going to take care of you and by the end of it you've been in my presence you'll have more to give away than you can give away And it's a great way for us to test our own hearts and our own lives and our own motivation. Jesus doesn't need us to prove something. He just needs us to follow him, to meet him, to spend time with him along the way. I'm going to invite The ushers to move and get the communion elements ready. As we move to communion, I'm not going to have the worship team come. We're going to practice silencio, silence. The bread and the cup, symbols of Jesus' body and his blood, and we know that his body was broken and beaten for us so that we would be made whole. The blood, the, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and we understand that. But I'd like for us to focus in a different way this morning a little bit. The bread is bread. You need food to eat. We're going to go to the, pic- the picnic this afternoon and. People are going to bring food and they're going to eat their food and share their food and we're going to have a good time as we share a meal. The cup is, to juice. It tastes good. I always take communion. I'm like, why don't I drink more grape juice? This is good. <laughs> and yes, there are, there, it's so significant and it's special and, and there's greater meaning. But sometimes we miss the very fact that God just wants to feed us and refresh us, and restore us. You're hungry, you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. That God wants to meet you in the most basic, elemental places of need in your life. To refresh you, to make you lie down. As we receive this morning, just in the moment of quiet, Would you just ask Jesus, what is it you want to speak over my life today? I'm going to invite the men to come forward. We're going to pass the trays, and then I'm going to ask that you just hold the bread, and then we'll receive together and just make some space. Go ahead and pass the elements. Jesus, you told us that you are the bread of life. You sustain us in every part of who we are. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you sustain us. Just in the same way that we need bread. We need food to live. That the daily bread you have for us, even as you prayed and taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, is both very practical and profound at the same time. And so, Lord, I pray that even in this moment that you would just continue to speak your love And your care over us. That we would taste and see that you are good. And that we would learn daily. To rest in that place. Even if you have to make us lie down. Help us Lord to hear your voice. Thank you for your body. Given for us. In Jesus name. Let's partake together. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you've covered our sin. but Lord, I'm also reminded this morning that our blood is the means by which our bodies carry life to every part of our being. It's in our blood that infection is fought off. It's in our blood that oxygen is carried to our brains. And Lord, that the blood that was shed brings life. Not just the forgiveness of sin, but the refreshing, the invigorating, the protection, the life that we need so, Jesus, we thank you this morning for your blood. May we receive from you the fullness of what you have. In full, not in part. We want to experience more of who you are each day in our lives. And we thank you that the blood has made a way. In Jesus' name, let's receive together. We stand together. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I pray a blessing over this congregation. That you would watch over, that you would protect, that you would refresh and restore. That you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That you would bring comfort where comfort is needed. Where you would set a table in the presence of our enemies. That every need would be met. Every hurt would be healed. Every place of brokenness would be restored. Every place of, of lack would be met. In the name of Jesus. And we give you praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Join us at the park. We'd love to.